The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here, and we'd love to have you fill out our friendship pad. It's a black folder that's on the center end of each pew, and uh, fill it out and let us know that you're here today, whether you're visiting or whether you're regularly here. You can see the announcements within your bulletin. You can see today, right after this service, the anniversary committee uh, that is planning our celebration of our 100th anniversary this year is meeting over in Tankersley Hall. If you have volunteered to do any part of that committee, this is a meeting for you. We have been having just sub-chairs meeting for a number of months. This is the month that we are celebrating our preschool within our anniversary. We started the month by doing that with the parade and their wonderful prize winning float for the Patriots Day Parade. And you can see that this afternoon they are having a fundraiser at the wine gallery and you can help celebrate our preschool by helping them with their fundraiser this afternoon too. Next Sunday morning will be our new members class. If, you'd, if you're interested in learning more about our church or perhaps becoming a member of our church, it's a one-hour conversation with Jerry, a question and answer. It's a good chance to find out more about us, and you're invited to come and be there, if you, whether you're ready to join or not. You'd just like more information, too. Inside, you can see that our group that is called Third Friday invites you to join them the third Friday of April to learn about Russian icons. We have a professor from Chapman University who is a specialist in Russian art, and she's going to tell us about this world that most of us don't know very much about. It's also a potluck dinner, and you can sign up today to be a part of that. It is a great way to meet people in this congregation. If you've been coming to worship and thinking, how do I meet people here? One of the best ways is Third Friday. It's a good chance to do that. Our book talk group invites you to read a book by Dr. Vin Chung about the refugees who were the boat people coming from Vietnam. Vin Chung was himself a child on one of those boats, very sickly child who almost didn't survive, and is now a doctor, as you can see. So those books are available today out on the book cart, Where the Wind Leads is the story. I've heard him speak, and he, he does have quite a story. Anyone who reads the book is invited to join us for the book talk. You can see the schedule of what we are doing during Holy Week this year, our schedule for Palm Sunday, and Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. Both the Thursday and the Friday services are night services this year. Also the schedule for Easter. Our services are not at the regular times on Easter. They are at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning. We hope that you'll plan to be with us. Uh, you can see also that the children's ministry is beginning signing, to sign up for summer stuff, Vacation Bible School, and Camp H2O. You can do that online. And we have a grief support group each spring that begins after Easter. If you have lost someone close to you, this is a wonderful place to begin to talk about that and to begin to heal. The group is six weeks long, and you can sign up for that on the website too. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Lord God, on the first day of creation, you spoke your word, let there be light, and there was light, and everything that there is came into being, and you declared it to be very good. You spoke your word of new creation into the womb of the Virgin Mary, and the Son of God came into the world full of grace and truth. You spoke your word, and you poured out your Holy Spirit upon all who were in Jerusalem. And so you've been empowering and living within your church throughout these centuries. We are your people this morning. We pray that once again we will be empowered to listen to your word, for the breath of your spirit to blow upon us, to bring us alive into the fullness of resurrection life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Join me for the responsive call to worship that you'll find printed in your bulletin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. No, no one, one has, has ever seen, seen God. God. It, it is God, God the, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. We worship the one triune God. Amen. And so let us stand and praise God together. The psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. We come patiently to the everlasting God. Please join with us. into the worship throne room in Revelation 5, and when we're there, we hear these words from those who are praising God. You are worthy, Lamb, to receive glory and honor and power. And so we sing, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name.
Scripture calls us to come to the Lord and to tell him the truth about ourselves. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins to Almighty God as we pray in unison. God of mercy, you sent Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. We confess that we have strayed from you and turned aside from your way. We are misled by pride, for we see ourselves pure when we are stained and great when we are small. We have failed in love, neglected justice, and ignored your truth. Have mercy, O God, and forgive our sin. Return us to paths of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And hear now the silent confessions of our hearts. For we pray through Christ, our Savior. Amen. My friends, hear the good news. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and raised to new life. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Amen. Amen.
Our gospel text this morning is from John chapter 11, one of the better known sections of the gospel of John, the seventh of the signs that Jesus did to establish his authority and power as the Son of God. It's 44 verses, so rather than read the text, I want to tell you the story. You know, friends... Friends are a great gift. We journey with friends. We we share life experience with friends. They are with us in times uh, when we rejoice, at other times when we weep. We eat with our friends. We drink wine with our friends. We go on vacation with our friends. We worship with our friends. What would life be without the intimacy and the blessing of friendship. Thanks be to God that we are surrounded by community. Now Jesus had friends as well as disciples. The disciples 12 plus a few others who followed him and the crowds gathered around him. But there were some intimate friends in his life who lived just outside of Jerusalem, the old city, in the little village of Bethany that sits on the eastern slope, just almost at the pinnacle of the Mount of Olives. If you go to Israel, it's a place you want to visit because it's the place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived and where Jesus often visited. John has... Jesus in Jerusalem several times. And we have reason to believe from reading the Gospels that it was in their home that he experienced hospitality, that he was welcomed, and where there were many great laughs and great meals and the drinking of wine and celebration. This was not all doom and gloom and sadness between these four people. Jesus, I think, felt safe in their home, two miles outside of Jerusalem. You walk outside their door, and you would be at the top almost of the Mount of Olives, and you'd have that spectacular view of the old city of Jerusalem. And you walk down that road through trees and through the Garden of Gethsemane, and up Mount Zion, and into the gate of the old city where you would see the temple. And so the minute you would come to the pinnacle of the hill there, The view was breathtaking, and I think Jesus loved it because he loved the holy city, the city of God. Luke tells us in chapter 10 of his Gospels that on one occasion, Jesus was visiting with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he was in the living room, and Martha was in the kitchen, and she was busy fixing the evening meal, and But her younger sister Mary was in the living room at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. And after a while, Martha, the older sister, grew somewhat impatient. And she walked into the living room and said, Lord, if you want to have dinner tonight, command my sister to come in and help me. Anything like that ever happened in your house? And Jesus looked up at Martha. His words to Martha were, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the better part. I'm sure dinner was served that night. Martha was satisfied. Mary was happy, as was Jesus. But already in the Gospel of John, we are told that resistance to Jesus was beginning to build. And already there were threats against his life because of what he was doing and what he was saying. 
And so he took his disciples with him, and they journeyed down that road, down to the Jordan River, to a place to the, just to the east of the river at Perea, where John the Baptist had baptized him. And there they were spending some time together. I think Jesus was reflecting upon the voice that he had heard at the river, the voice of his heavenly Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so the conversation was going on. And Jesus was being encouraged and comforted by the presence of the Father when the messenger came from Bethany. It was before the days of email or text messaging or even of telephones, and probably there was a carrier of the message when just a few words, Lord, the one whom you love in Bethany, Lazarus, he is seriously ill. I send you this message from Mary and Martha. Come quickly. His life is in danger. I think it must have been that the messenger expected Jesus to gather his disciples and to go immediately up the road back to Bethany where the crowd expected that Jesus, the Son of God, had the authority and the power to heal the sick. And the strange thing about this story is that Jesus delayed for two days. And at the end of two days, he said to his disciples, we must return to Bethany because Lazarus has fallen asleep. And one of the disciples said, well, if he's fallen asleep, Lord, he'll be just fine. He'll wake up naturally. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I must go. I'm glad you were not there with me, or when he died, I'm glad we weren't there. I want you to believe in the authority and the power of the kingdom of God. And so they began that journey back up to Bethany, just 20 miles away. And even before they arrived, the message came that Jesus was on his way. And when Martha heard that, she ran out from the crowd of mourners. And she stood right in the face of Jesus and looked him in the eye with tears running down her face. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. No little anger and disappointment in those words. The worst words that a pastor would ever want to hear. When we needed you, after all the friendship, after all the hospitality, the many times we've been together, the works we've seen you do, when we needed you, you weren't here. I cringe every time I think of that. Jesus said to Martha, Martha, your brother will rise again. Do you believe that? Yes, Lord, I, I know he will rise again at the end of the age when the dead are raised. But don't you understand, right now my brother is dead. He's been dead for four years, four days. Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But in this moment, it was as if Martha was saying, I am so grief-struck, I don't really know what I believe anymore. And I wonder about the presence of God in this world and what this life is coming to. 
Martha ran back, told her sister Mary. Mary came out in tears with a great crowd of mourners who were mourning for 30 days after one would die. And she came and she fell down in front of Jesus in an act of worship. And she cried the very same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And it was as if an emotional storm burst forth. Everyone was weeping. And Jesus looked around and his own heart was broken. John tells us that his spirit was deeply troubled, deeply distressed. And in the shortest verse in the Bible, it simply says, Jesus wept also. He simply absorbed the emotion of the moment he cried. I'm so glad that he did. Because the story proves the true humanity of Jesus. That he came into this world not just as the Son of God, but as one is fully human. To bear the fullness of human grief and sin and the power of death. To stare at face to face. And in that moment, he was grieving the whole human condition. How is it that we live in a world, dear Father, where people die, where we lose our friends, where people go to war, where people do not speak, where life may be very short or for some very long? Someone said, I've known people who live to be 85, but they've been dead since 30 Jesus, in deep grief, said to Martha and to Mary, Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. And they went and they stood before the tomb with the rock sealing it. And Jesus had rolled the stone away as he prayed and gave thanks to God, his heavenly Father, that he'd already heard his prayer. And in that moment, Jesus, in the midst of deep sorrow and pain and tears, the text literally means, the Greek word means that Jesus not just had a few tears and was wiping his eyes and his nose, but that he was bawling. Not very good behavior for a pastor. Nevertheless, there it was. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, crying his eyes out with a broken heart in the presence of having lost his friend, only to stand in front of that tomb and to cry out, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, wrapped in his burial clothes with a cloth over his face. And Jesus said, unbind him. And let him go. I'd like to make a couple of points in my own personal theological reflections about this story. This story has helped affirm and to settle my own emo emotional life in the presence of human pain and suffering and loss. There was a time I thought I could not go into the ministry because I couldn't dare to look at death and conduct funerals. Somewhere along the way, I made the decision that if Jesus could stand at the tomb of a loved one and weep, then maybe I could and be and allow his life to flow through me. My first experience with this, I was a kid and my great-grandmother died at 101 and the preacher was weeping and everybody there was weeping and I ran out of the mortuary indeed, crying my eyes out. I said, if this is what it's about, I don't want anything to do with this. This is too painful. After all, we live in a culture that's characterized by the denial of death. 
with the awareness that until we deal with our own mortality, we can't truly be alive in the moment. And so in dealing with this, something that's a part of each one of our life and our families, we begin to discover what life is about. Yesterday, Kathy and I were at a memorial service for one of our pastor friends who suddenly passed away a couple of weeks ago. Stated clerk of our presbytery was seated next to us about a month or two ago. He lost his sister-in-law and their child to a tragic accident back in Kansas in a frozen pond where they fill, fell in and drowned. And here Forrest was seated next to us and I just happened to hear his words almost like a call to worship as we sat there looking at the remains of our brother and he said, okay, death, you've made your point. Seems like that's a continual point that's being made. And so we come to these times in our lives. And what is the remedy for this? Well, we could simply avoid all of this and play it safe and build a wall around ourselves and insulate ourselves. Those who are doctors and nurses sometimes do that in hospitals. I've often wondered, as I've seen some of my doctor friends in the hospitals late at night ministering to their patients that they know who are dying, and how they can do that on and on. And what kind of wall do you have to build around yourself emotionally? The temptation is there. But when we do that, we begin to insulate ourselves in such a way that we grow hardened. We lose our feelings. We lose a part of our humanity. And we discover that the only remedy is to face it face to face. I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves. Lewis was a guy who was a highly sensitive. In The Four Loves, he quoted um, St. Augustine who lost his dearest friend, Nebridius, and it put Augustine, one of the great early church fathers, into deep desolation. Some would call it depression. Lewis shared Augustine's counsel. He says, this is what comes of giving one's heart to anything but God. The human beings, all human beings, pass away. Therefore, do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. Makes a certain sense. Of course, Lewis wrote, this is excellent sense. Don't put your goods in a leaky vessel. Don't spend too much on a house you may be turned out of. And of course, he said, I am a safety first creature. Careful, this might lead you to suffering. I prefer safe investments and limited liabilities. You go to counsel with your financial counselor, you want to make some investments in the market, and the first question they were likely to ask you is, what's your risk level? What can you bear if the market goes down? Lewis said, but there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. The day when we had to put our dog down, I was outside bawling. Well, Case stayed with little Frida. 
town that saw me must have thought, what's wrong with Pastor Jerry? Wrap your heart carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. If you're going to live, you got to risk. And I want to live. But to live means opening ourselves up before life with all of its joys and sorrows and everything that comes into the life of a church or a nation or the world. We all know that. And somehow it's okay because that's where Jesus, the Son of God, invested his life with the human condition for the sake of healing us and rescuing us and planting the power of life and love within us. But secondly, this story has drawn me to Jesus in deeper ways as the source of comfort. The Gospel of John wants us to know that in the beginning, the very word that called the whole creation into being, that said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was very good, is the same word that became incarnate in Jesus. God the Father, the Creator, spoke His word into the womb of the Virgin Mary, and she conceived the child, the Son of God, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish. And it is this same creator, God, incarnate in Jesus who continues daily to sustain the creation and to speak his life into the life of his people keeping his church alive and empowering its mission. And he is able to hold us, to comfort us, to walk with us through every dark valley. He's the good shepherd. He knows every one of us by name. And even though we walk through the darkest valley, we fear no evil because he is with us as the source of life. And that is a source of profound comfort to know that the Spirit of the Creator God has come to dwell within my heart and in your heart, that we're all temples of the Holy Spirit, and through faith we pass from death to life as we are baptized into Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of my covenant brothers, who I love very much, as you, I've spoken of this before, but I've been in a covenant group of fellow pastors for the last 30 years or so. And one of our, our my brothers, Michael Venning, who had been pastor at the Bel Air Presbyterian Church, been the pastor for President Reagan, was the South African Presbyterian pastor that officiated at his interment at the Reagan Library and Museum. He was ill for a number of years from some form of cancer and was being kept alive by, by injection of drugs. And Michael and I walked through this experience together. Oftentimes, 
he would call me and say, Jerry, I just don't feel up to driving today to the covenant group. Could you pick me up and take me? And of course I did. And we talked about death and dying and life. We had had so many wonderful times together. We ate a lot of great food. We had wonderful laughs. And we drank a lot of great wine. And I was not about to give him up. And finally it became clear that he was close to death and our covenant group met with him as he was laying in bed and he, we laid our hands on him and we all prayed and we all wept and Michael prayed in spiritual gifted tongues and he was a charismatic Presbyterian and we were all caught up into this. I had made Michael promise me that when my time came, he'd be at the pearly gates waiting to welcome me, a friend. Actually, I feel that way about all my friends. I'm looking forward to that great heavenly celebration when we are all in the presence of God and every tear is wiped away and sin and death are no more and the new creation will have come in its fullness and death will be defeated, the last enemy. And we will be with him and all of God's people forevermore. We look forward to that. He said he'd be there. As will all of God's saints, but we're especially interested, the one whom we really want to see is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who stands at the door of our lives and knocks and calls out to us this morning using your name. Come out. Come to me. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door and I will come into you and fellowship with you and eat with you. That's the eternal fellowship. And the good news is we don't have to wait to the end of the age to have and enjoy eternal life. Eternal life is right now. And I don't want you to leave this sanctuary this morning without reaffirming that. Eternal life has begun already for you because Christ is in you. And nothing can separate us from his love, nothing in life or in death. We belong to him, and he's able to hold us. This morning, our hearts, I pray, will fill, be filled to abundance with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who came to bring life, an abundant life that we might truly know that we're awake and alive, not in denial, but fully engaged as servants of the kingdom of God to build this kingdom of love into every dimension of life. The church, our nation, our world desperately needs a church that's awake and alive with the resurrection power of Almighty God. And so we come to this place to be filled. And I do not stand here alone. I stand in the name of Jesus Christ and proclaim, come out of here. And may God, through his grace, give us the power to come forth so that we can be unwrapped and set free to be the children of God in the service of God, whatever the circumstances of our lives may be. Pray with me. Dear Father, in Jesus Christ, you've loved us all the way to the cross. You have been with us in those times that we didn't think that we could tolerate life and that we simply wanted to run. You've been with us when our eyes were so blurred with tears that we could not see. And our cry so loud that it, we wondered what others might think. 
Thank you that you've given us permission to be real, to be human, to be vulnerable in our lives, knowing that there is, the day will come when we pass into your presence, every one of us. But until then, we want to truly live by your power and presence. You are our Savior and our Lord, and we love you. Amen. And the Apostle Paul was uh, in prison in Rome, and he wrote a letter to Philippi, to the church there. And he wrote these words. He said, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Amen.